time. John. Oh, oh. <laughs> this is my favorite part. <laughs> this is the best part of the show. This is this is the why this is why I do this. It's this is episode what 184 or something like that, and it never gets old. <laughs> We're using this take, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. I'm Jim. <laughs> this is uh, Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Quill, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, I'm Quill. I've been on the podcast a couple times before. I actually forget what I've plugged in the past, so I'm going to plug the uh, Great Lakes Pitch and Rescue. Uh, they're based here in, where I live in Chicago. Uh, they rescue pigeons and doves. Uh, you should consider adopting a pigeon or a dove because they're soft. And do they make adorable noises? Oh, yeah, definitely. What What's the best way to keep a pigeon that you've rescued? Uh, They're pretty docile animals like you can keep them in a normal cage that they're not like parrots they don't need a whole lot of verticality they prefer just kind of walking around so uh i actually have two pigeons in a uh i bought a rabbit hutch and we keep them in a rabbit hutch huh. what do the rabbits think of that we get a lot of rabbits in our yard and they seem upset <laughs> like hey that's my house what are you doing there or it could be my house that's <laughs> i recognize that hutch that's <laughs> Uh, and John, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Sure. I'm John. I have been on the show many times over its run and I don't have anything to plug at this time other than hiding in the Discord under the name Beats Master, the Topic Lords Discord. But but you're not Beats Master in the Topic Lords Discord. I, I'm not. And that's, that's a further question that I'm going to leave to the listener as an exercise. There is no Beats Master. There never was. Oh. The beats remain unmastered. It's a strange dilemma that people are going to have to um, have to roll around in their noodle. Solve the dilemma of whether there's even a question here to answer. Yes. That's that's all I got. Are we ready to start on some topics? Sure. Let's start on some topics. John, your topic is taking advantage of a rare opportunity to play a Legend of Zelda game before every aspect of it is documented on the internet. Yes. Are either of you... Also excited about Tears of the Kingdom, which is releasing on May 12th of this year. I'm, I'm excited with reservations. Okay. I wasn't really that excited until I saw the most recent trailer, which I think is like the final gameplay trailer, mm. which shows off like all the kind of combining different things and how like building and whatnot works. And actually that kind of drew me in because I was kind of worried that it was just going to be more of the same. Yeah, it's interesting because that... That trailer kind of put me in the mind of something like Scribble Knots, which I don't know mm -hmm. if you you ever played that one, but the premise was that you can you have these problems to solve and you can just write whatever object you want and it'll spawn into the thing and then you can combine it with other objects and then you can solve problems in interesting ways. Yeah, a very ambitious idea for a game that just I would say just barely pays off. <laughs> like it I would say like it just barely works, but it does work and that's cool. Yeah, it was, it was kind of neat, right? Like you could, scribble knots at least, you could feel kind of clever about coming up with interesting ways of, of doing things. Yeah. Um, but also, I, I feel like I, I was only able to do that once, which might just, might be a pitfall of this sort of thing. But uh, but all this to say that, yeah, so, so the next Legend of Zelda game is called Tears of the Kingdom, and it comes out very soon. What is, what is most exciting to me is that I'm going to buy it on release day, 
I've, I have a whole plan in which I'm taking off the, the days surrounding from work. So I'm just going to like go to the store first thing in the morning when it comes out, buy it, come home and just play it all weekend. And I've never done this before with anything. I don't think. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to uncharted territory being out there and I'm, it's going to be everything I can do to prevent myself from going into forums and you know, looking on Reddit and things like that to see what other people's experiences are being. But I, but I think this is just a golden opportunity to do something like this. Like, I can't remember the last time when I have been in a position, first of all, to be able to afford a game that I really wanted on release date, which I think the last Legend of Zelda game came out, what was it, 20, 2016, 2015? 2017. 2017, okay. So 2017. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot has changed in my life since 2017. Um, so it's just this this golden opportunity you know jim as i was as i was thinking about this i I was thinking about the topic that you brought up in the past that is near and dear to your heart about preserving mystery in in games and such yeah said what i have to say about it but i I wonder if either of you have experiences or, or with a similar sort of thing just going into something without any prior information not really knowing what you're getting into yeah i mean and the best time to do that is at launch but you can do that. You just need to like ignore game culture, which I oh. recommend doing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd be like, oh, every game can be like that. You just pick up a game and it's a complete mystery to you. The game that I remember calling out in my talk about, actually, I don't remember if I came, this came up in the talk or just in the question, in the Q&A afterwards, come to think of it. Uh, but the talk I gave at GDC about uh, preserving a sense of discovery in the age of spoilers. Mm. Um, an idea that came up was in Dark Souls. Uh, it, it it seemed to me, and I think this has turned out to, in fact, be the case. It was designed to be solved by the community at large as a as a whole, like in forums. Mm-hmm. Like the the game is too mysterious and too like spiky for any one person to reasonably like solve all its mysteries on their own. Uh, and it is intended that you approach it together and share information amongst yourselves. Uh, and that really only works if you're doing it like as part of the initial forays, because there's no, and maybe we can solve this as like a, as a culture, as a species or something, but there currently there's no like matchmaking system where like, I want to match up against 50 people who are starting Dark Souls 2 today. <laughs> and then we will go thrown in a forum together and figure it out together, uh, which would be incredible. That would be a great service that somebody could do. Instead, what you what you do when you try to find like, the natural thing to do is try to find information about it on the internet. You just find like, here's the ext- exhaustively documented wiki that, that like mm. the initial pioneers created. But- I gave that talk like right before Dark Souls 2 came out. And that was like something I pointed out as like, here's an opportunity for you. You can be part of that community solving this game together. It's funny that you brought up Dark Souls because so the most recent game that I kind of got to play on day of launch and got to kind of experience completely fresh was Elden Ring last year. Oh, yeah. But, um, I found a uh, a much more interesting quarter, sort of journey that I didn't even participate in was when the Demon Souls remake uh released in 2021 i believe uh because 
that was remade by, I believe, Bluepoint Games, and they added in uh, a new set of armor, wearable armor that wasn't in the original game. And there was a massive community-wide effort in trying to figure out how to unlock it, what really uh, was involved. It kind of started with a, um, there was a, a new door in the game that was locked and people were just trying to figure out how, how to unlock this door. And it's very interesting to see just all the different theories that came up and all the uh, all the experiment, uh, experimentation that happened. Yeah. Uh, I, I was finding a lot of it live. Yeah, yeah. They added a similar thing to Shadow of the Colossus with their remake of Shadow of the Colossus where they added a bunch of new collectibles and a new reward for finding all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I believe it took them maybe a week or two. It it wasn't that long, but it also wasn't like one day, uh, which I thought was really interesting because I was able to kind of wake up every day and there'd be new news or new theories. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the closest thing that I can compare this to that I've witnessed up close was uh, when Fez came out. And Jim, I remember your sister was over and you just spent the weekend playing that together and like creating a comprehensive notes and like writing out the the language and stuff like that, which I, I again, just being near that was very interesting. But then, yeah, that was a really special moment. And it, it was, yeah. it was so lucky that it was just the right game for the two of us. And we don't, we don't play t- games together a lot. That's not something we do all the time. That's just something we just happened to play this. And I think it was, I think I had suggested it as like, oh, this is probably be a good game for us to play. But it was just luck that we actually did it. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember after playing Tunic, I was like, God, I, I wish I had played this with Elena. <laughs> you know, it was just, it's exactly the right project for the two of us to take on together. Oh, man. That's another one. You you just recommended that one to me not that long ago as well, and it's certainly on my list. But I've I've got I've got Tears of the Kingdom in the queue, and I don't know if I'm going to have. Any I understand. Time and listen, listen, Tunic is going to be good six months from now. Yeah. So, and, and also like if if you're worried about spoilers, Tunic is just about as spoiled as it's going to get. Mm. So it's it's like the the riddle about which radiation cookie you put in your mouth and which one you hold in your hand I don't, this this metaphor may uh, be uh i'm uh, i'm lost <laughs> all right now i have to remember this riddle yeah tell us about the radiation cookies jim yeah yeah so there's this sounds uh, important this is this is going to be for this is from memory so i'm probably fucking it up you have there are three cookies i don't know why they're cookies in this in this riddle someone decided that should be they should be cookies one of them emits alpha rays, one of them emits beta rays, and one of them emits gamma rays. Uh, and I think the riddle is, which one do you put in the desk drawer in front of you? Which one do you hold in your hand? And which one do you put in your mouth? Oh. And this is, is like- Is this a this is about, riddle? No, it's about risk assessment and also your understanding of these, of, of physics. Mm. Like risk risk management. Because some particles are blocked by flesh and some are block, blocked by- Moisture and some are blocked by wood. <laughs> I believe that's the idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do, do Do you want to take a stab at this? I don't because while I recognize that there are differences, I don't know which one is which. And sure, yeah. Me making a choice at this point would just be like a rock paper scissors situation. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Uh, so the punchline is that you the the one with the strongest rays is the one you put in your mouth because it's gonna get to you anyway. No matter where you put it. Well, anyway, that, that was my that was what I was getting at when I was trying to make the comparison to Tunic. The answer that I was going to give is a uh, 
somewhat similar. I was just going to say I would eat all three because they're cookies. Yeah, delicious. Mm. Yeah, cookie sitting in a drawer is not doing you any favors. It goes in your mouth. Yeah, I think the cookie, the th- cookie thing is maybe confounding the problem a little bit. <laughs> it's already a good riddle, and the cookie's just the cookie just makes it delicious. Cookies are yeah. a red herring. Maybe the cookie, maybe they're cookies because that's why you can't just throw them away because you don't waste food. That's true. I'm now curious if this is some sort of weird, like not quite translation issue, but I believe like uh, things are used for radioactive testing in certain cases are called biscuits. And I'm <laughs> curious if there was some sort of issue there. <laughs> but in the UK, they're called scones. Yeah, the radioactive scone problem. Delicious. Looking forward to deciding which cookie to put in my mouth, which somehow relates back to video games. Yeah. Re- regarding the kind of communal discovery of things within games, uh, I I haven't really played a whole lot of uh, MMOs in my life, but the handful that I have played, uh, the most enjoyable parts for me were always when something was introduced that was some sort of uh, massive mystery or massive thing that people had to kind of uh, solve as a community. Um, I, I feel like that's kind of the one of the best things that MMOs have to offer that single player games typically don't. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being really enamored with, and I, I played it a little bit and like it, it was hard to get a grip on. It was called, the, I think it was called the secret world. Mm. Uh, it was an MMO um, written by the same guy who wrote, uh, Oof, I can't remember the name. There was a series of adventure games that people other than me liked a lot. The Longest Journey, maybe? I hope I'm not bungling both nouns now. Anyway, The Secret World. I I like the writing a lot, but the gimmick of that MMO was that in addition to the usual like, oh, here's a combat system and you can all fight monsters together – uh, you did a lot of ARG style puzzle solving and mystery and solving mysteries. So yeah. you would like, for example, you would find like a car abandoned on the side of the road and you would, you know, find clues in the trunk and you would Google the clues like in real life Google and you'd find yeah. like the the car owners like web, their jobs website and you'd use the information on their profile on their job's website to log into their laptop because it mentions their child's name or whatever. Wow. And I thought that was really neat, uh, except that, like, because it's an MMO on the internet, like, immediately, as <laughs> soon as you Googled anything to do with the secret world, you'd the, the first 10 search results would be, like, secret world spoiler pages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So. There was a a browser game they played that had a similar sort of thing where you were encouraged to Google for uh, kind of information. And they actually just kind of built in their own, well, it wasn't really their own, but they had an embedded just Google search where they just automatically injected whatever the Google uh, thing is to like remove the name of the game from whatever search you did right. to kind of filter that stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would have worked for this, tr- for this too. Sounds great. You should share that link in the show notes perhaps or i don't know if i still even know what the game was (laughs) are we ready for another topic sure yes quill your topic is rca's implementation of color television is one of the most impressive engineering feats of the 20th century yeah but i guess i should start by saying uh i find analog electronics 
uh, analog cir- circuitry to be extremely interesting. I went to school for computer science, so and I, re- I originally went to school for electrical engineering, mm. uh, mostly doing work within uh, you know just digital logic circuits. So digital anything that's that's discrete ones and zeros, I can kind of understand how that works. Uh, but analog circuits are just completely their own thing, and just the amount of engineering that went into creating the television uh the, the in general i think is just really uh impressive and a really ridiculous feat of engineering and the step that in the creation of the analog television that i still don't entirely understand and i have i think read two books on it i've watched a bunch of videos i've talked to engineers about this and it still kind of eludes me is the fact that uh so they had black and white television which was sending a single video signal and uh, people were trying to figure out, okay, we have color television, or we, we want to implement color television. Uh, we now have to run three signals to each television. And some people at RCA were like, oh, no, we don't. We could just send three times as much information in one signal so that we could use one signal that not only works for color television, but also is still backwards compatible with black and white televisions um okay they sure. used a uh a signal processing technique called quadrature amplitude modulation that's the part they still uh, i think it's a combination of like the math and the engineering is just above what i was able to learn in you know my <laughs> undergrad degree <laughs> but it's just it's such a fantastic feat to uh cram three times as much information into one analog signal while keeping the integrity of the original signal interesting yeah so i was gonna ask i mean you mentioned not getting to that in in your studies but um i'm i'm trying to understand even how okay cards on the table i know what a television is (laughs) and i know that crt technology generally involves shooting electrons at a screen and having what is it? Magnets pulling them in different directions to do different things. Yeah, there's a, a magnetic yoke that will uh, handle both scanning left to right and also the vertical uh, vertical scanning too. Right, but all that sounds like sorcery. Also, I don't know how you are able to get the magnets to pull in just the right ways to get the electrons to go based on this analog signal that's coming in. Oh, it's if they're electromagnets, right? And you just give. Each one a little bit more power when you needed to be pulling more. Yeah, but that I mean that level of that level of precision. But I guess then we're getting into I'm I'm thinking back to like racing the beam. Sure. Yeah. Which I which I ne- I I never actually finished reading that, but but the premise is that you have to do clever things with with the way that your scanning so line is going. For, or something, for, right? for context here, like racing the beam is a book about programming games for the Atari twenty six hundred. And the the trick there is that the Atari twenty six hundred didn't actually have a frame buffer, uh, and so it it just had like here are some here here are some like image components that you can manipulate in various ways. Uh, and you you what you have to do is you have to manipulate them in real time as the screen scans because it's going to render whatever the con- current configuration is on the current scan line as uh, as your as your code executes. In order to render a screen, you have to uh, match where your code is. Like you, you have to like draw each line 
or, or set up the configuration for each line right before the line is rendered or even as it's rendering in some cases. Hmm. I, I've heard of the book. I haven't read it myself, but it's very, yeah, it, it, it's very enjoyable if you're a huge nerd. <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense that there wouldn't be a frame buffer because I don't even know how that would work on yeah, something had like that. Yeah, it 128 bytes of RAM, so no, no, no frame buffer. Very, very close to the hardware at that point. Yeah. So I'm looking at um, the uh, Wikipedia page for QAM and I'm in a bad place here where like I feel like I could understand this and I'm, I'm like <laughs> stopping myself from like just stopping the show – and reading this Wikipedia page <laughs> to actually try to dig in and understand it. Because, like, uh, I also am not super familiar with um, electronics, but I, I do have a lot of experience with DSP, which this kind of falls under the family of. Uh-huh. Uh, so, like, I am I, – I, I know just enough to be dangerous here. Um, and I bet <laughs> I could – I bet I could figure out QAM if, uh, if you gave me some time. But I'm not going to take the time right now. Because this isn't that kind of show. If you had three different ways of transmitting information and you needed to know which one to put into your mouth, you'd be able to figure it out is what you're saying. Yes, yes. You okay. you put the worst one in your mouth. Right. I also want to say, now the page for QAM obviously has a lot of uh, mathematical equations, but also there are quite a few diagrams. Yeah. And pretty much all of them, I feel, look like some sort of alchemical rune combination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's always fun. These are sigils for summoning demons and stuff. Um, if you do wind up learning how QAM works, please let me know, and I'd, I'd love to have it explained. <laughs> there, there's a lot of, like, in order to understand this, first we need to invent the universe, I feel. But in, maybe that's... But in this case, uni- the universe is television. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, I know I know of it. You've got a light bulb uh, and a tin can, and then there's magnets on on all on four sides of the tin can and the <laughs> the magnets are pulling the light from the light anyway i i i've already and there's like a screen door on the other side from the tin can from the light bulb and that's as far as i've got and then and then you're expelled from the kingdom for for wizardry right yes uh-huh. yeah well and then like not only that like it's one thing to invent the video display system but how did the, the how did the image get created and transmitted in the first place? Do you just make a second one and run it backwards? <laughs> from what I know, from the kind of like pre-Philo Farmsworth invention of the television, that's kind of how it worked. <laughs> it's like speakers and microphones; they're they're the same thing. Yeah, tra- transduction is uh, for the most part a kind of balanced process. You just get a vinyl vinyl record that you put your video camera next to. With a wire. I, I just want to read a sentence from the QAM Wikipedia page that I think makes it seem even more magical. All right, I'm ready. Mm. Arbitrarily high spectral efficiencies can be achieved with QAM by setting a suitable constellation size limited only by the noise level and linearity of the communications channel. So the constellations, like Orion is involved. <laughs> <laughs> he's wielding He's wielding the little dipper. He's going to whack you in the head with it. This does involve reading the stars and trying to understand like what any of this is supposed to mean divining uh, the signal are we ready for another topic sure yes please uh my topic is the guy next to me on bart talked to me the entire ride home from gdc 
He made me play the phone game he was addicted to and compared my performance to the coworker he was also making play the game. He got a call from his wife and introduced me to her. He told me <laughs> he'd just spent 30 years in prison for murder. His stepson is a pit bull breeder and he complained about how few f- free pit bulls he was getting. He smelled weed on the train and put on a loud voice to announce, I'm a cop, put your vape pen away. My stop was also his stop, so the monologue didn't let up when I got off the train. I finally escaped when he was distracted by Girl Scout cookies. Jim, are you are you an extrovert? <laughs> no. No, ah. definitely not. This guy definitely is. Yeah, I was gonna say I I don't know if I don't know if he was misreading the situation or if that's just how he lives his life. I, I have to like I have to assume like I was giving every signal that I did not want to engage without actually saying so. Uh, So I have to assume this guy is like either really bad at reading the room or just doesn't give a shit or like thinks that when someone else is being introverted, it's his job to bridge the gap. Yeah, yeah. That's what I am choosing to believe about this. Question. Was this the last train of the night? No, it was. Uh, No, it was. It was like it was like 6 p.m. Because it. it was like it was like just late enough that there were seats on the train. But still early enough that it was, the train was still pretty dang full. I have several questions. <laughs> yes. So when I first read this topic, I didn't read the entire thing because it gets cut off. Uh, I assume, was this person attending GDC? <laughs> no. Uh, he was, I, I believe he was a, a security guard. But, and in fact, he showed me the the logo of the company he was working for but i didn't retain it what game was he addicted to <laughs> i don't remember the name of that one either it was a uh, um it was like it was called like galaxy shooter or something like that it was very very galaga like but it also had you know free to play like progression shit added to it and so like he had me play his save which was super <laughs> late game Meaning not difficult, but extremely powered up. So, mm. like, I played this level of level of this shmup where, like, the ship was so powerful that it basically killed everything as soon as it came on screen. And so, like, it was barely even playing a game. Jim, is it possible that he was struggling with that level? And so, not unlike a child who has an older sibling who is better at the game, he was handing it to you so that you could pass that level. No, he wanted me to okay. like he wanted to share the joy of this game he loved <laughs> with with me. Just just looking for looking for possible explanations other than the most obvious one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this person I assume knew that you were coming from GDC. I don't think so. I don't think they knew about GDC. <laughs> oh. Okay. I didn't have a badge on. Um I just looked like a regular dude. I thought maybe they're just like shooting their shot and they thought there's a chance that you made this game. <laughs> Likewise, I thought maybe there's a chance that this guy made this game and this was a covert way of doing playtesting. If if this guy had been like, here, check out this game I'm addicted to, and it turned out to be Glitterman Grove, that, <laughs> that would have been incredible. Like, I would have been like, is this Frog Fractions 2? It's that, like, like so looking our, for the hidden cameras. Yeah. That would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, did you, is this part of. This is part of the ARG that you just forgot about. Right, right, right. The ARG that I made for myself and then uh, and then like 
surgically removed the memory from my mind. Yeah, or like or like you 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 know paid someone through a proxy like okay, several years from now I want someone to approach me and and this will be part of the thing and like it happened so long ago that that like you forgot that you made the payment. Yeah, yeah. And now and now it's coming to you. I feel like I feel like I'm describing in part the plot of the movie Bullworth, which I've never seen, but is about someone who pays someone else to assassinate him and then forgets about it. Oh, I didn't know that. I that, that is a tangent, but all I remember is Warren Beatty rapping we Beatty, however you pronounce that guy's name, rapping in the trailer and he wasn't a very good rapper. I think he directed that one too. Yeah, he directed himself to to rap terribly. Yeah, he's just like I'm gonna I'm gonna do a silly thing and you know, live in his truth. But back yeah. to back to what you were saying. Sorry. There are elements of the story that we still haven't even touched on. He said that he was disappointed at the how few pit bulls he was getting. Did yeah. he say how many he had gotten? Uh, no, but what, what <laughs> happened was he, he showed me a video of uh, a litter of pit bulls nursing, and oh. then he complained to me that he was only getting three of them. <laughs> that's a lot of pit bulls. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm what not, I thought. I'm not, I'm not getting as many pit bulls as I thought I would be, Right, which raises the question like, how many? How many does he want? Yeah. Or is it? Or is that like a reverse thing where he's like, I'm not getting as many as I thought I was going to get. The amount that I thought I was going to get was one, but instead I have three. I yeah. I mean, I I can't remember his phrasing, so I I, I don't know if he was pulling that grammatical stunt on me. Need 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 to parse this guy's phraseology and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe he wanted to sell the pit bulls or something. I don't know. Roughly how many pit bulls were in the video? Oh, I think it was like seven, something like that. Oh my gosh. So he was getting nearly half of the pit bulls. Yeah, half or almost half. Maybe he was imagining like, all right, unlimited pit bulls. Yeah, well, why isn't why isn't my stepson giving me all the pit bulls? I, so, okay, I have, a, I have a further question. Did you, okay, did you consider saying, that's very cool, hey, this is my stop, and getting off and waiting for the next train? <laughs> <laughs> and I ask because this is something that I've that I'm sure that I've done in my life. I can't remember the specific situation, but I I am certain that I've been like I I am not interested in being bound to this person for this entire journey for as long as it's going to take. And I I'm declaring defeat, and I'll get the next one. So here's the here's the problem with that idea is that he 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 might be like, oh yeah, I, I'll get off here too. Oh no. Oh, I didn't even mm. didn't even occur to me. I could use some exercise. I'll walk you home. Uh, follow up question to that. How long was this ride? It was from like Powell Street Station to Castro Valley. So it was like a good 30-minute ride. And he was going to Castro Valley too. Yeah, it's just coincidentally. Like, Jim, this could be your neighbor. What if he like walks you home and just says, oh yeah, I, I, I live here now. <laughs> What Jim, was this man the cat in the hat? <laughs> uh that would have been that would have been terrifying. He did like he was talking as we were leaving the station together before he got distracted by cookies. He was talking about how he wanted to stay in touch. Wow. What just uh, I am <laughs> I'm perplexed by the misreading of this situation on this guy's part. I don't know, man. He spent 38 years in prison for murder. That's got to do something to you socially. I mean, he's not getting the number of pit bulls that he wanted, that he expected. <laughs> Sorry, he didn't say want. He said expect, we think. 
I, my, that was my interpretation of it, though. Ah, uh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I'm not trying to gaslight you here. I don't want to <laughs> inadvertently make you second guess your own recollection. I got the impression that he wanted more pit bulls. I see. Okay. And who wouldn't? Me. I don't want any pit bulls. Yeah, well. How, how was your performance in this game compared to his coworker? Oh, I did way better than the coworker. I was a natural at this incredibly easy shmup. <laughs> so wait, question. Another question. The coworker. Yeah. Did you get a read on them? I I get I got the imp- so like he was facing away from us, but I got the impression that he was like just putting up with this guy until it was time to get off the train. Yeah, I was gonna say like is is he going through this eight hours a day, five days a week? Yeah, just yeah. Like <laughs> I I probably that's probably and and I can't imagine like how, I I got the impression his wife is also sick of his shit, so. I mean, uh, I mean, she's got as you know, she's like, got many pit bulls, not not as many as as he wants, but I I, I told you the story about how he 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 pretended to be a cop and, and <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> afterwards he was like, my wife hates when I do that. She's like, stop, stop. My wife hates when I do that felony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At any point. Did you consider asking if you could record him so that you could reboot Train Hot Dog? Oh my god. What a thought. I definitely thought about rebooting Train Hot Dog. Like there was a another the next day, the next train ride home. It's a it's a much less, you know, a dramatic story, but it was still one that kind of it's still one with that that has stuck with me because I was sitting like in the rear right corner of the of the car, empty seats. There was at least two empty seats nearby. And a dude just came up and came, walked and sat next to me. And I was like, I I was screaming inside. I didn't say anything to him. But inside, I was like, how do you live like this? Why? Why? Do you own headphones? I own several pairs of headphones. These days for my phone, I, I because my headphone jack is fucked up, I've been using Bluetooth ear, earbuds. Mm-hmm. I just feel like whenever I ride public transportation, that is kind of the tool that I use to avoid conversations or yeah. encounters or people. That, well, so that didn't work with the, the talkative guy. I had headphones in when he started talking to me. Oh. I, I, but I also had them in for the second story as well. And But the, the guy who just sat next to me, he didn't try to talk. He was just – he just sat inexplicably close. And then like two stops before mine, he moved to another seat. And I don't know like <laughs> what what's different. What's what What changed? Did he have a moment of clarity? It's like, oh, I'm sitting way too close to this guy in this mostly empty car. <laughs> but like there was one episode of Train Hot Dog that was just me reading a stack trace. You, you know how this 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 epi- this podcast Train Hot Dog was mostly me reading web pages to people into the microphone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was one time when I I loaded up a page and it was uh, a couple of pages worth of stack trace because the the website errored out. And so I just read the whole stack trace and it took the entire 20 minute episode. And at some point during the train ride, somebody sat down next to me and then heard what I was doing and got up and just stood in the, in the <laughs> aisle instead. Like whatever this is, I want no part of it. Yeah. I also find particularly funny because I kind of think that the Bay Area is this, the only place in the world where sitting down next to somebody that's reading entire stack trace 
could be a normal thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he didn't want any part of it. It was like, I get enough of this shit at work. Mm, something unsavory about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go hang out with uh, the homeless people instead. Mm. Those are those are my preferred San Francisco residents. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yes. So for this topic, we're going to be reading the poem. Um, I tried to click on the poem to see what it was called, and somehow I got to like a DS emulator webpage, which is not what I was trying to do. Uh, <laughs> John, do you remember the name of this poem? I, I believe it's just called Fall 1961. Okay. By by Robert Lowell. Okay, great. Would you would you care to read it for us while I try to get my life back together? <laughs> yes. Okay, great. And I, I will preface this by saying that I've never actually read this one aloud, so we'll see how it goes. Okay. There's at least one difficult word that I had to scan through. Interesting. Okay, well, we'll see if I get hung up on it. All right. Fall 1961 by Robert Lowell. Back and forth, back and forth, goes the talk, talk, talk of the orange, bland, ambassadorial face of the moon on the grandfather clock. All autumn, the chafe and jar of nuclear war. We have talked our extinction to death. I swim like a minnow behind my studio window. Our end drifts nearer. The moon lifts, radiant with terror. The state is a diver under a glass bell. A father's no shield for his child. We are like a lot of wild spiders, crying together, but without tears. Nature holds up a mirror. One swallow makes a summer. It's easy to tick off the minutes, but the clock hands stick. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. My one point of rest is the orange and black oriole's swinging nest. Every, every once in a while, you get a reminder of how much people worried about nuclear war, especially like in the 60s through the 80s, basically. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And it's not something I think about these days. And yet I'm still surrounded by artifacts of the 60s. Like I was just reading um, – so I, I've talked about um, the Tom Brahan's number ones column about uh, all the number one hits since 1958 basically is doing one like three of these a week and it's really interesting stuff uh, he yeah. also wrote a book on the same topic expanding on 20 of the most important number one hits in like the, the most game-changing number one hits and one of them was uh mr tambourine man by the birds and like yeah. just reading about like this particular song's effect on like rock folk music and the melding of it. And I'm just thinking about like how much of this music is just been like, like a constant part of my life for all my life. And to me, like when I think of the sixties, I think about things like that and the stuff that like the day-to-day -day worry about politics of the political situation about worried about like existential threats like none of that ever comes to my mind. When you, when either of you were in elementary school, did you see signs up that said "Fallout Shelter"? Oh yeah, I, I feel like I still kind of see them. They're just very old. I didn't see that. I remember. Um, I do remember like there being drills about what to do if like the 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 air raid alarms go off, though. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Re I recall having nuclear drills, but things were a little bit different where I grew up because. I grew up 
very close to a nuclear power plant. So uh, we would like every, I think it was the first Monday of every month, they would just run the, uh, the nuclear alarms at I think 3 PM and every house was equipped with uh, iodine tablets and other things that we had to get renewed every oh, couple wow. years uh, as kind of a, like just in case there's a, an accident uh, kit. Yeah. And also given that this was where I spent the first, 15-ish years of my life uh that's also kind of like all i knew so going to places that didn't have nuclear power plant alarms every month was weird to me after <laughs> i moved away it's like you move to the new place and you're like so what do y'all do when there's a nuclear accident <laughs> <laughs> and they're all just look at you strangely and then you realize that your life is different from their lives we read it about it in the paper and shake our heads yeah. So I have a question about this poem. I'm not sure if either of mm. you would be able, to, uh, be able to answer. So the poem's called Fall 1961, mm. and Robert Lowell lived, according to this page, from 1917 to 1977. Mm. Uh, do you have to know when, like, was this written in 1961, or was this written afterwards? So I don't actually know. I will uh, admit that my getting to this poem is... Not as direct as I read this at one point and liked it and read everything about the author, which I have done with other other folks. But uh, the way that I got to this was actually the text of this was taken almost entirely as it is and used in a song by uh, a musician named John Vanderslice. And the song that he wrote is called Radiant with Terror. And it is on an album from 2006 or 2007, I think called Pixel Revolt, and that album is largely about the result of the the turn of the century after September of 2001 and how things have changed. Um, and in his version, the reference to nuclear war is instead the line he uses is of a dirty bomb, which I think was was the the concern that was going on around that time. Right. And, and so it's interesting seeing how this poem written 50 years before any of that is is still still relevant in those ways. Yes. The, the so. reason why I asked about the timing of when this was written was because uh, so fall of 1962, one year after, I guess, when this would have at least taken place mm. uh, was when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened, which I think most people that were alive slash historians would agree was probably like the height of the most scary time, yeah. Yeah. Because as you were kind of saying, Jim, about how afraid people were of nuclear war, there, I feel like especially around the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, it was less a question of if and more a question of when. People just kind of thought it was an inevitability. Yeah. And given kind of like the nature of the poem, it doesn't seem, I'd say in no way optimistic. It kind mm -hmm. of treats uh nuclear destruction as something that is imminent yep right and and also un unstoppable right just you know mm -hmm. father's no shield for his child right i so i just looked at uh the wikipedia page for robert lowell and i think this poem came out in a book of verse that was released in 1964 called for the union dead maybe he just forgot that the cuban missile crisis was not in 1961 Maybe he was thinking of the Cuban Missile Crisis, but just put the wrong year on it. Maybe. I mean, the other possibility is that it's ironic because everyone was still concerned in, in 
fall of 1961 as they were at any other time, and it's all kind of the same. You're in the same spot no matter what's going on in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. It also could have been his way of saying, I was scared for humanity before it was cool. Right. <laughs> That's all I've got to say about uh, that poem. Thank you for allowing me to read it. The, the word that I thought was going to be difficult to pronounce was ambassadorial. Ah, <laughs> that was I up, that was my guess. Yeah. What did I end up getting stuck on? Our end drifts near. Right. End drifts. The the end of drift drifts. There's a lot going on there. And then nearer is also a little yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this poem needs to be workshopped a little bit more to remove those hard-to-pronounce words. <laughs> I'm sure that he, was his biggest concern at the time. <laughs> he he wrote it down and then just never said it. Actually, That actually makes me wonder, like, I imagine most poems are written to be read in your head, but there have to be poems. There are definitely, there are definitely also poems. There's like a whole genre of poems that are meant to be read aloud. And mm. I wonder, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm asking here. Mm. It's just like that that has to be like something that's in the author's head is like, am I writing this to be read at a poetry slam? Is it meant to make someone feel something when it is spoken aloud? Right. Or, or just, you just you know. in their heads. Because if it's if it's not meant to be read aloud, you can do lots of stuff with it that, that is like purely visual. Mm. It, it made me think of a – I believe it was actually in college, uh, an English textbook that uh, I had for a class – had several poem, uh, poems by E.E. E. Cummings, but without the formatting that he used. Yep. And he's one of those poets that the way that words sat on a page, it, it, they were definitely made to be very visual poems. And by just printing them in, you know, Helvetica on like in, in, on a regular page, just definitely removed some of that. Uh, it removed a certain element of the poem that I'm sure I could express better if I understood more about poetry. Right. Yeah. No. I I know what you mean though. Like certainly some some works are are intended to be uh, just looked at, right? And and you can read them in the words themselves, but but the uh, the effect of the structure have more significance. I feel like I re I remember seeing a like a Jim Morrison poem that. One of the elements of it was just an arrow pointing downward to some other word. Oh, like shoots and ladders. Yeah. Like when you get exactly. when you get to this one word, you're supposed to skip right to the one below. Yeah, and then you can't actually read the rest of it unless you read back through through the other parts of it and and get there, and then it's don't a, step on that 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 same word again. It's like when they put inaccessible sections inside of a choose your own adventure book. Yeah. Like oh. nothing ever points to this page, but it's the only good ending. Did they ever, only ever do that in one actual Choose Your Own Adventure book? Oh, I'm not sure. I, I'm just thinking. I, I just remember it coming up in a discussion of like things you can do with the form. If I recall, it was some sort of book where the uh, uh, the good ending was kind of like a utopia that the book said could only really be found by not following the rules and kind of exploring yourself. So, oh, <laughs> interesting. That's clever. That's very. Th that's thematic. Very subversive. And asking the reader to be subversive. It's like the Stanley Parable, the book. <laughs> Can you also bring up one off-topic thing? Yeah. Despite this being topic, Lords. Uh, you, you, you mentioned uh, the comparison to Snakes and Ladders. Did you know that Snakes and Ladders th – this isn't a topic, by the way. Do you know that Snakes and Ladders is actually an ancient uh, tool for meditation? <laughs> I did not no. know that. I forget where it originated. I want to say maybe Jainism, uh, but the idea was there would just be a 
uh, every square would kind of have uh, something to reflect on or some sort of uh, essentially like a prayer and you would kind of like navigate it and let uh, chance kind of decide what you're going to focus on. Wow. Neat. I didn't know that. Nor did I. And now I'm looking up different depictions of the boards and quite a lot going on other than the modern interpretations of it. This could be a topic. This could be a topic in a future episode. Shall we add this to the bucket for if I get on again? Oh, you've got so many though. I want to talk someday about the <laughs> JLC Atmos Mental Clock. That sounds really cool too. Uh, actually, in fact, do you want to talk about that instead of dumplings? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it, it feels like I'm kind of overlapping because I already talked about one invention there. Oh, really you're like. right. All right. Let's talk about dumplings. Uh, Quill, your topic is- I mean, is... dumplings are also kind of an invention. Uh, you, By kind of, I mean they are. Yeah, but I, we haven't done a food topic in a while. I feel like food food is food is universal. Uh, the, the, to- the topic bucket runneth over. It's true. It really does. I've got- uh, there are over a thousand topics in here now, and I, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a trove. It's a topic trove. Quill, your topic is, are dumplings universal? It seems like every civilization has, has at some point invented their version of carbs around a protein food. Yeah. Uh, I mean, kind of just, uh, I feel like this is probably something that I could easily Google or people have definitely written about, but, uh, I started thinking of it, uh, thinking of it because, uh, Last year, uh, I adopted a rooster named Pierogi, and uh, I think my wife and I were talking about other dumplings that we could name birds after. Right. It just kind of made me realize that, like, pierogies, wontons. Samosas. I was thinking more wet, because there's, like, the, yeah, like, the samosa angle, but I feel like like pierogies are wet, usually, when they're served, or ravioli- is typically wet when it's served. Okay. These are kind of like like slimy, right? Slightly, potentially. Yeah, I, I don't know okay. why the, the the wetness is. I mean, you could just expand it. This could easily become the you know what is a sandwich question, but for dumplings. But <laughs> yeah, just the, the the fact that it seems like putting a thin layer of some sort of carb around usually meat is just kind of like this universal thing and. I, I guess what I'm saying by this is I don't think that like pierogies are necessarily a type of dumpling. I think that they're almost interchangeable. Like a ravioli is a pierogi, and vice versa. Yeah. I, so just to take your question from like having done no research, just to take it from first principles, there's like there's three kinds of food. I can't remember what they are. Uh, there's carbs. There's protein. Oh, the, the third one. The third one is fat. One them, it's alpha waves. Right. Carb, protein, and fat. Animal, vegetable, and mineral. Right. <laughs> and the idea of putting one of them in another one is something that probably somebody thought of. And there's only so many combinations of things you can put in other things because there's only the three food groups. So it makes sense that someone invented carbs around a protein. Now, what I'm you you said you said pudding. Uh, did I? You, did you say pudding? You said pudding. You said pudding, but you pronounced it like pudding, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I got excited <laughs> about. I think the idea. I think that's just my East Coast accent, but <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know about, I know about accents, um, and I knew what you meant, <laughs> but I, I still got excited about pudding, and the idea of putting pudding inside of a protein, not a not a carb, putting it in a protein, putting the pudding in a protein, yeah. Okay, so I'm imagining 
You know those um, fruit pies you can get that come in the really waxy paper? Yeah. And it's just like, it's, it's like, delicious. so you, you can get pudding in those, but yeah. what if instead of the shell, you had, you had what? Like steak. A, a steak? It would, it would probably have to be like meatloaf. Meatloaf? Like, like a, like a particle board meat. Or like, like a chicken piccata that you've pounded very thin. Yeah. If you want to get all fancy. Yeah, because there's things like chicken cordon bleu. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's a good example. Mm. Which is but protein I'm, and fat. I'm thinking about like the sort of thing you'd find on the shelf next to one of those waxy hand pies, though. Mm. That which would definitely be like pork trimmings that have been ground up and reformed into a McRib, like like a savor savory pudding pie, and then injected with custard. <laughs> I feel like if anyone has done this, it would have been the British. Yeah, they would do it with blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chicken cordon bleu, though that that's a well, that's a protein around a fat, right? And and in our protein, because isn't it usually uh uh like ham or something like ham with cheese and? Oh, yeah, I forgot about it, the ham. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was like ham and Swiss inside of chicken. Okay, sure. At least I, when I when I have made it, that's what I've been doing. So yes, but but going back to what you were saying about every like dumplings just existing. In all situations, I mean, you, you mentioned that you don't think a pierogi is a dumpling, but I would say that there is very little daylight between a pierogi or a ravioli or a gyoza. And so, like, if we think of the form, like the the taxonomy comes back to these are all classes of dumpling, right? Uh, maybe I didn't work correctly, and also, I this is something that I literally came up with as I said it before, but nah. it's. It's not that I see them as subcategories of dumplings. I mm. just kind of see them all as interchangeable. Ah, that okay. You could take a gyoza and stuff it with cheese and potatoes, and it is either a gyoza with cheese and potatoes or a pierogi at that point. Right. Okay. Remind me, a pierogi is like a, a potato-based thing, right? Typically, they, they can be filled with many different things i've had some that are filled with meats i've had some some that were like sweet that were filled with like a uh a kind of like sweet cheese and sometimes like pie fillings but the carb though is the carb uh is that a potato i don't actually know off the top of my head oh now i gotta look this up and this this raises another question which is if we're talking about sweet and savory things placed inside of a carb is a crepe a dumpling. I wouldn't say so. I think it would have to be sealed, right? You just have to yeah. crimp the edges and then it's a dumpling. So the sealing is what makes makes the thing. Uh, pierogies are made with unleavened dough, according to this. Mm. I, I guess also the counterpoint of my question of are pierogies, or sorry, are dumplings universal, uh, universal is I'm very curious if there are long-lived societies, long-lived civilizations that never invented a dumpling of their own. Yeah, that is that's a really interesting question because I can think of I can think of numerous types of carbs around proteins from all over the place. But I, I feel like they would have to just not have invented agriculture, <laughs> like or or not invented like grinding seeds into flour. Like it, it seems like a pretty, especially if you have you know tens of thousands of years to to get bored of what you're eating and eat something else. Like it seems like a pretty obvious through line of like you're growing seeds. Of course you like try to process the seeds to make them easier. And 
I actually, I don't know. How does flour get invented from there? Oh, it's like you accidentally dropped it in water and there's this paste now. Ah, and what am I going to do with this paste? Well, if I heat it up, it turns into food. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then it's just a sticky mess. But once you figure that out, then comes the question of, oh, I could probably put something else inside of this. Hot pocket. This would really be, (laughs) this would really be complemented by, and then you want to put in your... And you want to put in a protein and some kind of a some kind of a vegetable, perhaps, and some Nutella. Pig in a blanket. Exactly. Uh, that's all the time we have for topic lords. Uh, Quill, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, we don't have time for the the last of the seven that we had. Uh, I feel like that'd be a quick one. Let me let me look at this because I forget what it is. Sure, we can do this. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait. No, there's two more. There's two more. Yeah, but that- the very last one I feel like would be briefer. The other one I feel like would be a whole conversation. If you uh, you wanted you wanted to skip to seven and do that one real quick, all right, that's fine. Let's let's you do it. My yeah, to- go for it. My topic is I'm thinking about becoming the kind of guy who's just waiting for any excuse to explain that actually the singular of funfetti is funfetto. <laughs> so that's 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 what I'm doing right here. This is my excuse. Is this show? <laughs> well, thanks for having us on. This was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're welcome. <laughs> Quill, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you can find me right here uh, on Topic Lores. Just like, you know, hit the like button, drop a comment below. I'll try to respond when I get a chance. You, there's no there's no comment. Drop a comment right in the comments section. and uh, There's no comment. There's no comment form. It's not a thing. All right. I'll play along. That raises, yeah. I was going to say that raises the question about Wait a minute. Why? Why don't we? Why don't we add a, a comment section to the podcast? I mean, what I did—that's a—that's a thing that, that's allowed. What I right? did was I, I just link. I, I created a subreddit and I paste every episode. I, cre- <sighs> I, I, I create a. I post it to the subreddit, and then it never gets any comments. There's like, I get like <laughs> one comment every like fifty episodes or something like that. The actual discussion happens in the Topic Lords Discord, which is much more uh, robust and active. Mm. Uh, and if you're wondering how to get to the Topic Lords Discord, you go to the Topic Lords Patreon and then you pledge any amount of money per episode to uh, to the Patreon and then I'll send you an invite to the Topic Lords Discord. And then at that point, if you want, you can rescind your pledge and take it back. And I won't take back your invite because I'm too lazy. <laughs> it sounds like a, a very complicated scheme you've got running there, Jim. That's right. I'm... It's all I'm doing a whole bunch of work to get less money than the show costs to run. Yeah. Uh, but uh, also, cl- clever plan. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's let's fingers crossed that it eventually works out. There you go. Uh as as we record this, um Topic Lore has just reached 100,000 downloads. Oh. Hey. Which is nice. That's impressive per episode, right? No. It's like 500 per episode. Oh. I mean, you've got a loyal and dedicated audience. That's the important part. It, it, yeah, it's, I, I am very, I'm very pleased with this audience. And honestly, I, I, if if the show grew, I would, I would be excited in some ways, but in other ways, I'd be like, shit. There's probably going to be an influx of people. I need, I need to like figure out how to moderate the Topic Lords Discord now. Uh. If you're, if you're not listening to this show, then don't start unless you start with like a bunch of people. <laughs> How how would they hear that? <laughs> um, 
maybe they heard maybe they're outside my window listening to me say this right now maybe maybe someone followed them home and was telling them all about this podcast that they listen to yeah yeah maybe maybe like someone's listening to their podcast like too loud on the train and they can hear it from like the they're other describing what we're saying yeah right they watch the phone game they're addicted to right here's the, here's the podcast i'm addicted to topic lords the phone game i'd play that Woof. uh john if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet i i well if you if you search for the name robohunk on various social networks uh that are not twitter you uh may find me there um if you go to twitter and you search for robohunk x the letter x at the end of that string um you'll find me but all i really do is um all, all the all the delightful bots that i love are no longer online as of today so probably not much of anything yeah now you now you gotta you gotta join the fediverse and follow them on bots in space instead there you go uh cheap bots too sweet i believe is the uh right. solution for that yep um but uh, yeah i am on i am on uh mastodon see who's following jim and who's following the topic lords bot on that system and you'll find me it's fine sounds good all right thanks so much for being on thank you jim thanks for having us Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!